לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Again. Voted 10 years in a row, the best Torah program in Dutchess County. And for your Torah listening pleasure this Shabbat, we have an amazing Parsha, Parshat Balak, in which we meet some extraordinary characters, namely one, Balak, the namesake of this Parsha, the prophet for hire, Bilam, his donkey, and perhaps a few other characters. Uh, well, so maybe us. just take, let's take the, the, the can you uh, locate us in the, in the narrative of the book of Numbers for a moment and so discover who this is and what's going on here? Where are we? And what's, what's bring us up to date as to what has happened in the book of Numbers so we can talk about this Parsha in its context. All right, anybody wanna give that a crack? Barry Chester, tell us. Barry Chester. Well, that's the low-hanging fruit. Um, so we're we're nearing the end of the, the 40 years sojourn in the wilderness, and um, things are starting to happen. Um, yeah, as we've commented before, Numbers is really an interesting book from a, a temporal point of view. The beginning of the book takes place in the first year or two, and the end of the book takes place in the 40th year, and then a few things happened in the intervening 38 years, but they're not dated very precisely. So there's kind of an air in the midbar of a slow summer lasting for 40 years. You know, things move at a very slow pace when we take into account that we're covering 40 years in the book, which isn't even 40 chapters. So Israel, the Israelites are gearing up for battle because very soon they're going to conquer the land and they're not going to be welcomed with open arms by the natives, by the people who are passing themselves off as natives. Um, there's going to be a war. And so in a certain sense, we could say that they're practicing on the east side of the Jordan for the big battles are going to come when they cross over. So what we have is they're making their way north and they're running into their the other nations that are their relatives, at least in terms of the stories of Bereshit, the, the book of Genesis, and they're not, they're having some success on the battlefield, but they, they just want to get to a position where they can enter the land 
without really worrying about what's going on. But what's happened because of previous success on the battlefield is some of the local chieftains, such as Balak, are very concerned. So let's, let's identify Balak then and tell us, uh, you know. He you know. is a king. He's the son of Tsipor, a bird man. And um, he he's a Moabite. He's a, Well, it's not clear that he's a Moabite, but he's certainly the Moabite king at the moment. And he looks or he hears, and this is something that has interested me for a long time, is how did these other nations on the east side of the Jordan know so much about the Israelites and what happened to them in Egypt? Um, so Balak is concerned that uh, the army of the Israelites is going to just march through his land and not leave much left for him. So he has very few resources. And he sends away for the mail-order prophet, Bil'am, located further east, perhaps in Balak's hometown of Torah, and um, summons him so that he could curse the Israelites and give Balak a fighting chance for success. Let me let me just quote the, the verse here. He says, arali. Now, come and curse for me, et ha'amhazeh, Curse this nation, it's greater than I am. Maybe I will be able to conquer it or smite it. And I will be able to chase it away or, or eject it. Because I know, Balak is saying to Bilam, whoever you bless is blessed, you are. And whatever you curse is cursed. Those are those are words that ring in the biblical ear, and and may, I wonder maybe you, you you know either of you could comment on on this you know the idea of blessing and curses or maybe I'll comment on it and you'll react, which is that that the in my ear this this is back to Abraham. This is I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and that you know these things have remarkable power, blessings and curses in ways that we simply do not. Uh, understand or or be, do not appreciate, you know, un, unless you've really been cursed. If you've been cursed, you can appreciate, you know, how how uh, awful it is. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think maybe we still have a vestige of this that that the words are going to have power. I, I don't oh, know if you want to give a comment to that. I totally agree with that. First of all, you you point out something, and 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 the sages, you know, our our Talmudic sages. It's it's their it's their go-to maneuver for this story, which is that there's a nice parallel between Abraham and Bilam. Um, there are a number of phrases in which that that contrast is to be drawn, and this is this is one of the most obvious and clear ones. And and it would seem it would stand to reason that when the Bible, you know, draws an an alignment between Abraham and someone else. <laughs> uh, that, that it's it's not coming out to that person's you know benefit there this person is the is the you know the evil twin so to speak and um and it's telling us a story that you know god was that blesser of abraham and you know i'll bless those who who i'll bless those who bless you or gets in the voice of god to Abraham and those who curse you, those who it doesn't use the same word, mekalecha or uh, here it's the uh, or you are it's the, the same verbal pattern. Um, 
Bilam has come to curse. If you know the Abraham story, you know it's going to be bad. You know it's going to be bad for him. Um, so it, the story starts off for, for a reader of the Bible who knows it well, um, you know, giving you a hint that, that Bilam is not likely to succeed in the cursing. But I love what you said about the, you know, that sense of the power of words. I, I have a uh, uh, close friend who's also a, who was also a congregant who, um, the, the specific matter is not important, which I will not mention here, but this person received a negative me mention on the Tucker Carlson show at some point Ooh. and received like you couldn't even believe what kinds of emails and personal cursing and stuff was heaped upon this person. And though I don't think that they, you know, took it to heart, uh, although if you did take it to heart, you know, it'd be a whole lot worse. But even if you don't really take it to heart, and even if you don't really think that those horrible things that people are saying about you are in any way true, it cannot be good to have people say, I hope you die, and I hope you drown, and I hope all these things leave, 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 you know, terrible residues of, of emotional crisis in people. You know, they get a, I, I had a case, uh, a person has long since passed away, but uh, where, where they're, their mother-in-law sent a letter by the executor of the mother's will, which was uh, a, a, such a poison pen letter to, after she died, she instructed her executor to send this letter to someone. It was awful, terrible. The person came to me, what do I do with this? So I said, you should bury the letter in the mother's grave. Yeah, nicely done. So, what I think is important to stress here is that the blessing and curses also points to the blessing and curses and at the end of Sefer Devarim, in the book of Deuteronomy, when the Torah calls for the Israelites now safely ensconced in the land to assemble on two mountains and utter blessings and curses. And the blessings and curses are related to the behavior of the Israelites. Rather than cursing the Israelite people or specific tribes, the people that are cursed have misbehaved, and the people that are blessed have behaved. In a similar way, I think when we look back to Abraham, we understand, I think, in some way that the blessing and cursing and the call to Abraham is also based on people's behavior. But here, what Balak is looking for is what we might call a gratuitous curse, is that the Israelites are not really being judged for their behavior, they're being cursed for who they are. And that, I think, is ultimately untenable. And the other piece of it is that he summons Bil'am as if Bil'am is the person who's responsible for blessing and curses. Now, the Torah emphasizes with our prophets that the prophets are conduits of God's word. They're not the authors of God's word. Okay, so we have to kind of remark on the fact that this is there is some wonderful storytelling going on here, and and that the the story reads, you know, uh, um, as a, a lovely short story, uh, because these all these characters have certain qualities to them, and there is a plot here, and the plot is, you know, go curse the the Israelites, I will pay you whatever you want, basically, and that um, God first appears to Bilam and says, you know, don't don't do this, and and here I want you your reaction on what God says. He says, basically, you know, the, the, the Balak's emissaries come, they court him, they, and he says, stay with me. 
and they're sleeping at night and ba- and basically Balaam gets a dream and says and God says to him in the dream don't go back with them don't go with them don't don't do what they want do not curse that people because the the people is blessed and I think that's a it's a, such a remarkable passage because it's basically saying this people has immunity this is the teflon people they're blessed people and that of course you know looking at the entire book of numbers that's such an odd thing for god to say in the book of numbers the book of numbers has just been a one catastrophe after another and here i want to say that it's god there's some a loving quality of god here this is my people. This is a beautiful people. This is a blessed people. Don't you lay a finger on them. Don't you touch them. Don't you curse them. They're blessed. Well, here's my they're question. Never gonna, whatever you say is not going to apply. And so. No, see, that, that's the, the last thing you said counters the first thing you said in, in a small way. Obviously, it's, it's basically correct. But here, here's what I mean um, people are blessed. We love this. We love this. God is a source of blessing. But by the way, I need, you know, Aharon and his children to place the blessing, place my, it doesn't happen without your participation. You guys, you Kohanim, are some sort of channels, and you, you, you know, you, you'll, Samuach me up in Israel, you have to do your part, you place my name on the people, and then I'll come and bless them. Bilam, seems to be portrayed as not like it, it's not that it's totally not going to work you know don't don't step on a crack and break your mother's back that's just stupid it's not going to happen um it's just a superstition right. bilam is not portrayed i think as a ineffectual superstitious nonsense i think he's portrayed as having some power and so what i think i would almost the phrase you know clearly does mean don't curse them for they are blessed but i would because I think that there is a portrayal of, of actual charismatic power in Bilam, I would say, to translate it something like that, uh, don't curse the people, because they deserve blessing, and you're going to screw it up, and I'm going to have to intervene with you if you direct your charismatic power in the wrong way. So I, I don't want to say that they're blessed no matter what, because if they're blessed no matter what, Bilam can say whatever the hell he wants. Instead, God has to say, don't say your stuff because your stuff actually does have some power it'll just be inappropriate so it's a nice move it's a nice and i like it it's a it's a good homiletical move you know they they're deserving a blessing or i i want to i want to kind of read it almost in the plain sense which is they're they're they have this kind of barrier they're they're immune they're immune from your curses and and whatever you do is going to be ineffectual because they're you know anybody's curses on them is just going to be bounced off like a force field, you know, and in Star Trek. I don't know. I want to offer a slightly different reading. And the fact is that Bilam's curses do have power that even God recognizes, which is why God tells Bilam not to curse them. If Bilam would actually curse them, God would be bound in some way by it. So there's some kind of relationship between God and Bilam and neither of them, has all the power in his hands. Um, And I think it's important to to recognize that. We might note in passing the the passing of James Kahn, and there's a little element of Sonny Corleone here as well. 
because when Bilam refuses Balak's offer, uh, the messengers come back and he, he says that I would not take all the money in the world, which we might think is quite a magnanimous thing. You know, Bilam is so pious, but actually he's naming his price. Right. Right. He's saying, this is what you have to offer me to come. Just like Ephron the Hittite said, oh, what's 400 shekel between friends? Meaning you're going to pay me 400 shekel for your cave. And you know, make it we can't refuse. All right, so wait a well, second. Also, they, when Salazzo comes and Sonny, he mentions the number and Sonny's eyes bulge out because he's thinking that's our money. And of course, if you watch the movie, you realize that's like about the worst okay. thing you could say. As God, is true with Bilam. God because tells Bilam him to go. What? God then says you can go with them. Okay. Because I've decided, no. I mean, the reason that Barry said, which was what I said also, that we agreed that, that he does have some power, God says, in a, in a manner that may be a little reminiscent of Pharaoh, um, okay. You want to go? Go. Uh, I'm going to show you where the real power lies. Okay, so now, right. now, now and we're that also is an echo of Avraham in chapter 18, I think it is, the Sodom and Gomorrah thing, which is in part God teaching Avraham something about the world that he lives in. So Bilam needs to be taught something too. All right, so now I want to ask you this question, which is, is, just, is God just toying around with Bilam? And to what extent you would read this? Because then the very next scene is is the uh, the the slapstick or the the set the most satirical scene in the whole story, which is Bilam and the donkey. Uh, God says, "Go, you you go, and whatever whatever I say, you will do." And so he goes. Vayachavoshe datono. We get the nice echo of Abraham. Vayelechim sarei Moav. He goes with the officers of Moav, and uh, fast forward. Uh, he is going, and a, a, the Malach is blocking his way, and his aton is stop, his, his donkey stop, ateta aton min aderech, vayach bilam et aton, bilam smites the uh, animal, uh, and lahatota uh, aderech. Okay, so can you give me your best uh, explanation of what's going on here, and and if is this satire is this comedy is this is there a subtlety here is there something serious here what's your take on this scene all of the above <laughs> i think what the key for me you mentioned is god toying with philip as far as i know god only toys with one person and that's pharaoh but i think he said the word is the talalti um but here Bilam has to be taught something and this is a way of teaching Bill um, something because he thinks he's going to do God's bidding, which Bill um, thinks he knows what it is. And he thinks he's going to get his money and he's going to get the pat on the back for doing right by Balak. And this is God's way of letting Bill um know in a pretty overt way that you're not who you think you are, Bilam, and I still have cards to play here that you can't do anything about. And yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go on. There you go. So the fact that it's a donkey is instructive because, as you said, it's an echo of the Akedah. And 
I, I think that, you know, Bilam becomes very frustrated very quickly because he doesn't see. And when, you know, we think about prophets, what is their great character characteristic? It's seeing. They see better than other people. And here, Bilam, the acknowledged prophet in the ancient Near East, can't see what's in front of him. And, yeah, and, he, and he turns out to be a horrible human being because he's he's so cruel to this animal. I mean, I think, you know, that that would be, you know, the the, the Torah here making him into a, a canard. He is, so, uh, yeah, go ahead. What you're adding then is that it's not just that Bilam is not a good prophet because he doesn't see. He's also not a wise man because the donkey is wiser than he is. Look how measured the donkey's response is. And, you know, it's really a, a great response. You know, I've been your faithful servant all these years. Why are you kidding me? Well, this is, uh, you know, first of all, you, you use the word, which is, is actually, it appears in this one too. It's what the donkey said, as what Bilam is yelling at the donkey, he's allowed to be. You're, you're, you're making a mockery of me. And that you're, or you're whatever. And that, and that, that is exactly what's going on. I, I feel like, um, what you just said now, Barry, is, is very much on point, that we, we have a character who is supposed to be a great visionary and supposed to be wise. And in fact, and even though he will say some wise things, because when the, when the, um, when the, the uh, um, prophecy actually takes hold of him and he gives blessing instead of the curses that he was planning on, uh, he actually does exactly what, what what a prophet wants. So what we want about a prophet, God gives him a message. He says it with beauty, with poetry. It's effective. So he becomes, in fact, one hell of a great messenger. But uh, we are we are expected to see him as you know he is. I, I don't know if our listeners know this. Like Bilam is maybe the only character, maybe not the only character in in the. Humash, or maybe, who, who actually is attested in other literatures, like other non-Israelite non literature from the ancient world, he was like a, a, a well-known figure. It's like they told a story about, you know, let's just say they told a story about, about you know, uh, Confucius or something like that. Um, they told a story about Gautama Buddha, and it was in other cultures. And there was, so Bilam is also in other cultures inscriptions too. Um, so he was known, and he was supposed to be wise, and he was supposed to be, in the Bible's terms, Yodea dat elyon. He has, he, he knows the mind on high, but he's a, actually a joke. And the donkey sees what he doesn't see, and, and the donkey is wiser than he is in both of those senses. Now, in the end, he, he's going to have his eyes opened. And that's going to make him that successful, charismatic in the, in the when when the when the prophecy does does take hold of him. But at the moment, what I think is is, is a really comic, like you said, slapstick or very broad comic scene, in which the guy who's supposed to be wise don't know anything, and his donkey knows more than he does. And the donkey, who yes, it's like the academic, but it's also like what's a donkey? It's it's stubborn. It's mulish. It doesn't. You know, it's just, it's a pack animal. It doesn't think. Uh, it's actually even better than, than the person whose reputation makes him I, I, I prophet. Okay, so I want to I ask another question, which is 
related, I think, to the, the theme here in this uh, story, which is, to what extent is this a story about how others see us? And, and I'll put it in that, in that sense, which is, is this a story about how, the, how others see the Jewish people or the people of Israel? And, and put it in a more kind of ironic way was, is this the projection of the Israelites, the Hebrews, our ancestors, as to how they think others will see us? In other words, um, are we reading in this story a way that we want to be seen by others or that we are seen by others? There aren't many examples of uh, Gentiles in the in the Torah or in the Bible, but uh, Yitro comes to mind. Yitro is a great character. Yitro is uh, a Gentile, uh, not a prophet, but a but a but a real uh, a singularly important figure, a priest um, who is he's the antithesis of Bilam. Really, he's he's such a positive character. He's of course related to Moses as a father-in-law. Um, and and has nothing but good things to say about about the people of Israel. Uh, Bilam is a bit of a rogue, and um, and and here are we projecting onto these Gentile characters um, a kind of uh, a negative stereotype? Are we saying you know look they're they're only they're only concerned about uh, being carpetbagging prophets? He's only concerned about money. Balak is really uh, the king of Moab. is is really uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't call him a nebish, but I would call him he's a droll character. He's he's really quite stupid. And and is there another uh, veiled criticism here of the way that they're trying to elicit God's attention through the creation, the building seven altars? You know, in the end they've built twenty one altars and they've sacrificed forty two you know animals. I mean what what's going on here what's is this about how we are seen by others or is this how we want others to see us take it away well no in the question of i mean i I think that there's a lot in this story that is about uh, how we imagine others see us and maybe maybe there's a kind of a polemical or or pr so to speak aspect to, to, to that because this is not necessarily how the Moabites saw us. This is the Israelite account of how we telling the story about how the Moabites saw us. Uh, we don't we don't know what the Moabites thought. They're dead. They've been dead for a long time. But the Holy Torah uh, accounts, you know, what what we imagine that they said about us, their fear of us. Um, but you know, like in in Judaism, in a sense, stuff stuff hits the road when it enters the prayer book. Like the rubber hits the road when it enters the prayer book. Like you can say whatever, put it in the Talmud. Not that many people know the Talmud. You could put it in the Midrash. Not that many people know the Midrash. You know, lots of people know the Sidur. And you know that the line that begins entering the synagogue, you say, How beautiful are your tents? How good, how good, are, your, how good are your dwelling places? Um, and so that comes from Bilam's speech. So when we look at ourselves, when you enter a synagogue, you're supposed to say that line. And there's a wonderful midrash about what it is, you know, what, what prompted Bilam to say that. He saw that they had arranged their tents 
so that the entrance to one faced the wall of the other. In other words, each, each person's individual private dwelling uh, maintained their privacy and, and it prevented other people from sticking their nose and, and seeing you when you get dressed or listening to your private matters or whatever it is. Um, uh, and that you know, prompted Bilam to say, ah, these people are so ethical, they're so nice. Um, so I think at some level, the story is that somebody Balak, the king, who was just frightened of our sheer numbers. And by the way, you know, we all these thousands of years later, there's still lots of people who are afraid of, of, of us because we're all international financiers and we run the cabal that's pulling the strings behind, uh, you know, behind all world events and all that stuff. Uh, it's not, not actually true in case anybody didn't know that. But, but, but Bilam, Balak's scared of us. Bilam is predisposed to curse us. And you know what? Actually, there's such good stuff going on in our tents that even people who didn't really like us very much have to say, "Yeah, you got some got some good stuff going on." It's 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 so interesting, you know that that we we start our prayers with the words of how others see us and how it's translated into something that that is part of. It. I mean, it's someone who's knowledgeable that comes into the service and and. And reads those words, Matovu Yaakov, or sees it inscribed, for example, on on the ark, uh, is is it's playing a, a few games with us. It's saying, this is how the world thinks they see you, and this is really how we see ourselves, as if we were looking at ourselves from the eyes of others. Barry, you want to comment on it? Yeah, the the Torah plays a lot of games like this because we sometimes forget, as Jeremy alluded, that the story opens up with a non-Jewish misreading of who the Israelites are. Balak is scared almost to death, we could say, because he sees the Israelites as a threat, even though the Israelites themselves don't see themselves as a threat to Moab. So Bilam comes and offers this other view of the non-Jew looking at the Israelite. And what I want to suggest, and this may bear on the liturgy as well, is that a lot of what Bilam says about the Israelites is said in the present tense as if it's descriptive, but maybe is aspirational. That it would be great if the tents of Jacob were the way that Bilam describes them. And certainly when we come to Daven, when we are setting our sacred space in order, that's what we're hoping to do with the sacred space. We're not describing it, I think. We're hoping that as a result of our prayer and our engagement with the, the Almighty, that our sacred space will become as beautiful as Bilam described. It's it's really, it's a fascinating story. I mean, I, I, I started by thinking, you know, is this a satire and is this a, a comic relief in, in the book of Bamidbar? Um, but all satire has real truth to it. And, and the, you know, the last thing you said, Barry, of course, is a, has uh, a tremendous ring of truth to it. And and maybe this story is trying to teach us how to understand ourselves. You know, the, it is a useful exercise with everybody to to imagine. I was just wanted to say also, you know, in, in, in our contemporary Jewish culture, uh, we, we do love when uh, positive things are stated about us in the press or you know there there are lovely things, uh, and um, we do celebrate Jewish celebrities, and we do celebrate or or are very very grateful to 
people outside of the Jewish people who notice nice things about us. I mean, often you know, we we we're so often inundated with how people see us so negatively and and the anti-Semitism and the cruelty and the hatred against us. It's really remarkable when people actually love us. Um, I like, feel at some level like um, th there's I mean, obviously what you just said is correct. You know, there wouldn't be the Hanukkah song if we didn't. Right. You know, <laughs> Paul Newman's half Jewish. Goldie Hawn is too. <laughs> together. I'm <laughs> looking Jew. Jew. <laughs> there wouldn't be the Hanukkah song there if, if it weren't for that. And we do love to know you know, when, when somebody in the NBA is Jewish or, or, you know, Max Weinberg, the drummer for the legendary East Street band. But isn't that a little bit like, you know, pathological that we have to get the, the, the affirmation from, from the, 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 you know, we don't usually talk like this, but the Goyesh about, like, why do I have to know that the non-Jewish world thinks we're okay? Why do we have to know that? Yeah, I, because... think, I think it's a part of our insecurity, but it's also, I think it's very heartwarming to know that, that we are loved after all. You know, and this is, again, the theme of this story, which is those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. Well, not, you know, it's, it's Abraham, the intrinsic right. nature. I mean, that's Abraham, but it's the, it, are we intrinsically blessed? And isn't it great to know that, that some people in the world see that and the people that see that the Jewish people are a blessed and good people uh, are themselves kind the kind of people that appreciate this kind of goodness that the Jewish people offers to the world. Barry. So we sometimes have a tendency to see the Torah as being reductive, that we're going to reduce it to its individual parts. And I think that here in this story especially, it's the opposite of reductive, which is a word that escapes me at the moment. And it's all these things are true at the same time. So we, we don't necessarily have to have non-Jews validate us, but we want them to. Yes. And, you know, Balak could have this misunderstood view of the Israelites, and Balaam could have another view, and they're both true. It's not that one is true and the other is not. It's that somehow the way the Torah presents them, they're true at the same time. And sometimes in our lives, we're going to lean more and be more interested in what Balak has to say about us. And other times, we're going to be more interested in what Bilam has to say to us. And I suspect it has to do with how we're doing ourselves. How we see ourselves, that's right. Well, how we see ourselves. We've come to the end of another amazing edition of our Parsha Talk. We are so grateful that you have spent this time with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, especially Machana Ramah, all the people that are listening to us at Machana Ramah. We wish we could be there with you. In the meantime, though, we want to wish everyone a Shabbat Shalom. Have a really good Shabbos. Barry from Israel. Say hello Shabbat to everybody shalom. in Israel. Jeremy, New York. I'll say hello to everybody. Every in single world. person. And here in Highland Park, New Jersey. Hello, Highland Park, New Jersey. Hello. All right. Shabbat Shalom. We'll see you next week for the next edition of Parsha Talk. Shabbat Shalom.
השיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מרגישים, קיץ האוויר. רדיו קול רמה, 102.3 FM. קול רמה